Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful. And for the faithful, I'm David Staples of the Evans Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce, <coughs> excuse me, Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Good, Bruce. Nice haircut. Very nice haircut. Yeah, nice. Uh, I went in for the first time in three months. It was overdue. There you go. How are you? I'm doing fine. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. <clears throat> That's more like it, eh, Seven? <laughs> it's good to have a game without some tension now in a while. Yes. Um, um, there was, of course, you never know in the end. It seems like teams can come back against the orders, so that you never know. But um, mm-hmm. with the orders up 3 nothing after a few minutes and then 4 nothing in the mm-hmm. first, early in the first, that had a fairly low stress factor for Oilers fans, a 7-2 victory over the Kraken of Seattle. And it's a big game. It's a f- four-point game against a uh, division rival. And the Oilers move ahead of the Kraken in the NHL standings. The Oilers now have 42 points, and the Kraken have 40. But the Kraken have three games in hand, so there's that, that to reckon with still. But um, two big wins for the Oilers, Bruce. It was kind of a downtime, obviously, with that... I, I mentioned it again, the stinker loss against to the Vancouver Canucks, but they've come back and uh, they played very well tonight, of course. Um, it, it, watching that game, it's kind of hard to imagine, like, why has Seattle got 18 wins and 15 losses so far this year? What, what does this team have? Like, they don't seem to have, to me at least, they look like they work hard, but they don't have a lot of scoring, but um, they score enough to, to uh, be battling Edmonton right now for a spot. Yeah, yeah, they, they've got uh, scoring by committee. Yeah, and I'm going to dip into that a little bit on my number tonight. But uh, uh, they've got a they've got a, uh, a team wide and healthy team, so almost everybody's playing <clears throat> most of the games. Uh, but uh, it's uh, you know they're sixth in the NHL going into tonight's game, sixth in the NHL in goals scored per game. Oh wow! So, yeah, so they're obviously got figuring out how to do it. Hopefully the wheels will fall off this team and they be very mediocre the rest of the way. Uh, the grade A shots tonight were 12 to 8 for the Oilers. And the subset of five alarm shots were 10 to 6 for the Oilers. So, you know, you'd expect the Oilers to score about uh, four goals and the Kraken about uh, um, two or three. So, um the uh, Oilers certainly made the most of their chances tonight. And a number of them were kind of gimme, gimme goals. So there was that to it. Bruce, this is our Two Good Things, Two Bad Things, and Two Numbers podcast. And because it's an Oilers win, we'll go with two good things each. Um, what is your first good thing? Yeah, I'm going to go with a, a number of small things. Uh, mm-hmm. But all individual good plays where a, a player won a battle uh, did something important that ultimately in this particular night turned into goals. And I'll start with uh, the first three goals that were scored in three minutes and 55 seconds from the start of the game. And on each of them, there was a key play made, uh, only one of which got credited uh, on the score sheet. But uh, the first one was uh, Tyson Berry on the power play making two terrific zone keeps. I think they call them these days. We used to call them keep-ins. And uh, Tyson uh, Barry is channeling another former Oilers number 22 
Charlie Huddy, who's one of yeah. the finest at the art that I've ever seen. And Barry, he made one play on the right boards to glove down a, cl a clearing shot that he hardly had any time to react to because it was shot from only like 20 feet in front of him. And he, and he not just knocked it down, but was able to make a play under pressure to somehow control the puck inside the blue line, tight spaces, and pass it over to a place where there was some room. And the play cycled around a little bit more uh, over on the left boards, and Seattle tried to clear it up on the left wing, and Barry came all the way over 85 feet uh, to, the, to the other boards on his backhand. This time he again was able to, to keep it in and just, uh, just kind of... Uh, chipped the puck up the left wing boards to, I'm pretty sure it had to be Nugent Hopkins. And from there, the goal developed uh, where it went to uh, McDavid and then Hyman tipped it in from the edge of the crease. Uh, on the second goal, I thought a really fine play by uh, Marcus Niemelainen. This may have been a single best kind of sequence that I've seen from this guy, uh, where he went back and what seemed like a one-on-one -on -one battle on a you know, a loose puck that was ahead of both players. And he was able to, under good pressure, uh, control the puck with his long reach, make one good move to kind of tuck it forward to himself, uh, shake the guy, and then skate it out, and then make a good lead pass. And his lead pass went to, uh, 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 I think, to Costin, to Nugent Hopkins, oh, okay. to Janmark, yeah. and then Costin wound up getting a return feed on the edge of the crease and absolutely roofing a uh, close-range shot. And then on the third goal, this time it was Kyle Yamamoto, and he did at least get credit for an assist on this play, where he absolutely got crunched on the sidewall inside his own blue line, and he took the hit to make the good, safe, short pass uh, that went into the path of uh, McDavid. And then uh, uh, he was able to... Uh, 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 wind up setting up Nurse in the slot, and Nurse buried his shot from uh, from center slot. So Yamamoto got a, uh, uh, actually got a point on that one, and then uh, Yamamoto again kicked off the sequence on the uh, uh, had to be the five-one goal again by Costin. This was during a uh, extended Oilers possession, and there was a um, line change involved. But what started the sequence was little Kyler Yamamoto. Uh, winning a one-on-one -on -one puck battle with Jamie Alexiak, who, who must outweigh him by 100 pounds or next thing to it. I mean, Yamamoto is 5'8", 153, and Alexiak is 6'7", and I'm pretty sure he's pushing 250, but I have to look up Alexiak. I don't have that one on the tip of my tongue. Anyway, what looked like a huge physical mismatch, and it was a difficult play along with a puck rimming around in the low corner and Yamamoto was able to get a stick on it and somehow fend off the much bigger uh, man and, and keep the play alive for the Oilers and eventually they cycled that one around to a goal. So this is four different, just small plays and you do the little things right and the rest of the game sometimes looks after itself. And tonight was a night where some of those small plays were immediately rewarded with uh, red lights flashing. And uh, so I thought collectively, and these are all, well, two by Yamamoto, but uh, uh, not necessarily uh, superstar players. And, and this was a game where a lot of the Oilers' secondary players really showed up and, uh, uh, and put in a good effort. 
Yeah, you were wondering when some of these guys might step up. And uh, Yamamoto, of course, he did last year, right? And the reason mm-hmm. he has not played well this year, I, I think if we're completely fair, just just out of any sense of fairness, is he got he got a concussion, I, I believe, early yeah. in the year. And, you know, try playing your way through that and coming back. He, he was he was a he played poorly in the first 10 games of the year. And it's because he was hurt, banged up. You know, when, when Connor Yamamoto is on and if he can stay healthy, he this this is a, a good NHL forward who can play in a top six and make a contribution like he did tonight. And he was aggressive all over the ice. It was nice to see um, on the uh, Nima Linen play. It was uh, nice to see that burst of speed. Yeah. But apparently, he did he win the fastest skating? He won I, the fastest skater competition. Yeah, so, and when he was in junior hockey, I watched a few of his games, and that's what I noticed about the guy. He can really skate, mm-hmm. and uh, he is fast in a straight line. He's not particularly agile, but he is fast in a straight line. So um, he's gradually doing the things, Bruce, that could earn him a job in the NHL. And um, he's just one of these guys, if he can keep his game simple and, and make a few plays like that now and then, mm-hmm. which is a fairly simple play, stop the guy, win the puck, skate with the puck have the confidence to skate with the puck when you have an open leg with that then pass it make a quick pass um that's what an nhl defenseman needs to do and he and he did it in that in that instance um nuge also on the fifth goal is that what it was the one where yamamoto hit alexiak yeah five one goal nuge made a play where it got put into the slot and nuge won the battle got it back to nurse for the second for the second uh, shot on shot towards net, which Costin tipped in. My good thing is Clean uh, Costin. He's an interesting player, Bruce. Um, his results have been his results have been okay so far in terms of like creating grade A shots and defending against them. They're not they haven't been great, but he really there he really gives the Oilers something they need, which is which is a big physical player who can actually play and you just when he's out there on the ice he's so solid on his skates he's a real load for the other teams they cannot knock him over easily and you can't say that about a lot of oiler footers i mean leon dreisaitl but all the other guys can be knocked over you know if you can catch mcdavid even he's pretty solid on his skates too mcdavid but dreisaitl is the only one who has that super sense of solidity where you're going to hit him and bounce off. And Costin is the same. Hyman is, is to some extent, but he's a different style of player. But, um, you know, I can see the, there's a lot of excitement about this player um, in, in uh, oil country because f- fans are watching this team and they're realizing, well, this bottom unit, they're not bottom six forwards aren't doing a lot right now, especially when McLeod was out. Yeah. They didn't have a lot of guys who were doing much. I mean, he's been playing well all year. Ryan McLeod has. But uh, Costin does bring that size, but there is also a little bit of skill. Like when he gets the puck on the boards, he often holds it long enough and gets his head up and makes a good pass, which is something like, um, you know, players who have had long NHL careers, Cassian, Zach Cassian, Benoit Pouliot, they didn't always do, you know, like, you know, he, he seems like he might be able to work his way into that class of winger. Um, a guy who's going to be getting like maybe 30 points a year uh, on a third line and being a physical presence. Uh, th- you know, those those points would all be at even strength, essentially. So it's he's not there yet. He's got to do this consistently over time. 
But uh, tonight's game, he showed some of that skill. And and it wasn't in it wasn't like he he took the puck end to end. What he did was he went to the freaking net, and um, when you know Nima Linen broke up the ice and passed it, uh, the passing play ends up on Janmark's stick, and Janmark passes it. I think he was actually trying to hit Nuge, who was cutting across the slot, but his stick got hit, and it made it it ended up as a perfect pass to a much more dangerous player, Costin, uh, positionally on that play because he was just wide open, and he had a chance to make a move, and he deposited the puck. Um, behind the goalie. It was a, a Vander Kane-like scoring touch in front of the net there from Costin. And on the fifth goal, um, he he did it again. Puck gets directed towards the net by Darnell Nurse, and he just made, he was in the right place in front of the goalie, screening the goalie or um, thereabouts, and tipped it in. And uh, so, man, this would be something, Bruce, if the Oilers can, if the Oilers have this third-line winger who is physical, can make plays and hold his own defensively. That's a really uh, valuable acquisition um, that they then don't have to trade for. Um, they already have traded for. They yes. already have traded yeah. Dmitry Samarukov, who we always liked, who was yep. a good, very no, good that was a, That was a good value trade. And both teams acquired a, a guy that was uh, a draft pick from 2017 who had just reached his waiver Um uh, period where he, he could no longer uh, uh, be exempt from waivers, and that's kind of a that's kind of a line in the sand. And in fact, both teams waived their guy, and and he cleared waivers, and then they made the trade. So when the Oilers got Costin, they could send him down to uh, uh, Bakersfield, and they did for about a month. And he had two goals and two assists in nine games down there. Well, now in Edmonton, he's played 21 games, basically a quarter of a season. And as of now, he has four goals and four assists. So you can prorate that out on an 82-game season. That's about a 15-goal, 15-assist, 30-point season. And as you say, all of it at even strength. Like, that guy will never see the power play, even the second unit, I don't think. And, you know, four goals doesn't sound like much, but, geez, on the orders, it puts him about fifth or sixth on the team. (laughs) And he really is a pretty rugged and fearless customer, you know. He's, he's, I've been saying they need a big Bobby Clobber type now and then on the wing. And they got this, they got a big Bobrov Clobber type here in, uh, in, uh, Clem Costin. Um, yeah, no, he really, he, he's a fairly fearless character out there. He's not intimidated by other players. He's, he's got a real attitude about him. He's got some of that swagger that, that Evander Kane has, frankly. And, um, the owners could use that. The owners need that in, in some more players. And, um, you know, you don't need the whole roster doesn't have to be that way, but you do need it. I mean, there's been this big outcry. We didn't talk about this much after the last game versus the uh, the knee Mackenzie Weger's knee on McDavid. I, I guess because both of us felt it was relatively not that big a deal. But it, man, it's been the talk of uh, oil country yeah, since then, sure with a lot of people weighing in. And you know, it, it, it's interesting when when you look at the teams that like people wonder why why isn't Ken Holland bringing in a bunch of tough guys? Well. In, in, in eras of hockey, which were far more violent and far mm-hmm. more dominated by most teams had enforcers and mo- most teams played a m- far more thuggish brand of hockey. Holland's mm-hmm. teams in Detroit never went that way and he won three Stanley Cups that way. Mm-hmm. So I don't think he's not... Now, that's that said, he had some tough players on those teams. Like Darren McCarty was on, on a couple of those teams. Brendan Shanahan, um, Cronwall. 
there are some tough guys and the owners need some tough guys, but they have mm-hmm. some in Kane and Nurse. They just need maybe one or two. If if Costin can be one of those guys, that's a big addition. Yeah, well, he's listed as 6'3", 215 pounds, and he brings the physicality. I mean, he's got now 62 hits in 21 games, basically three hits per game. Uh, he's behind Pogliarvi for total hits, but on a per-game basis, he's uh, costing his tops on the team. And he brings, you know, some brain cramps, like he's a little erratic. Sure. And, I mean, there was a brutal backhand pass for a clear-cut breakaway <laughs> oh, yeah. tonight. That yeah, was that Skinner's, was... To me, Skinner's biggest save of the game right there. And uh, then uh, uh, a couple of penalties that were not necessary. Um, um, he took, in fact, six minutes in penalties, but he drew one penalty at least in this game, and he just seemed to be in the middle of it. And and a few good plays along the way, like a couple of good defensive plays, and uh, one I remember one pretty booming hit in the defensive zone that broke up a cycle, and you know lots more uh, check marks in the positive column than the negative, but uh, but some in both. But uh, there's uh, I have no complaints about this guy. Like he's uh, he's proving to be a bit of a find. Bruce, what's your second good thing? Yeah, uh, I got to go with the play of Darnell Nurse tonight. I thought he was terrific in this game right from the start. And uh, he was skating like a dream. He was all over the ice, uh, heavily involved in offensive chances. He scored a goal by jumping into the rush and unleashing a really good shot inside the post. That turned that was the 3 nothing goal that turned out to be the game winner. Uh, he jumped into another rush late in the first period and... Uh, uh, took a pass and was stopped by a good stop by Martin Jones. Uh, it was his outside shot that was tipped into the net by Costin uh, on the five five one. Uh, he had another good good play where he fed. I can't remember which order Yanmar. at the edge of the crease for, for a really good chance. Yeah, it would be in our in our document because that was a great a shot for sure. Yeah, uh, and. I, I liked his defensive play for the most part. I think he got beat on 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 one or two plays, but uh, uh, he. I just thought, uh, you know, his line, goal and assist, two points plus four, uh, a penalty, um, uh, 23 minutes 40 seconds, and uh, four shots, six shot attempts, two hits, and so basically all of those led the Oilers' defense. You know, in every in every one of those uh, stats, and he was the he was the leader of the Oilers' defense tonight. No uncertain terms. That was uh, sure. that was a uh, uh, a very very strong game from a guy the Oilers need better play from. While well, he delivered some of that better play tonight. Well, for some time now, Bruce, the last few years, I've been saying he has been. Statistically, at least, if you just go by key stats, he's been one of the top 10 NHL defensemen for the last three in that group for the last three or four years. Mm-hmm. And this is, you know, points per 60, um, time on ice uh, at various points in the game. Um, those are the, the, the key indicators that I've been looking at. And, um, you know, he, he, he's been up and down this year, he's been really inconsistent. But this was the good Darnell. And I don't know, yep. like, I don't know what other, like, I don't know if my theory is correct, but my, what I noticed, what I started to notice in the slump was when he was getting lots of ice time, he developed bad habits of conserving energy. 
And I just don't think that's his game. I think his game is a fairly, it's a, it's, it's, it is a high energy game. Dynamic game. And he absolutely. is going fast from point A to B in mm-hmm. the defensive zone. And um, when he stops doing that and he starts uh, slowing down, he just, the read, the reads aren't there um, for him to play that kind of game. He's not Chris Pronger. He doesn't think the game or see the game like that kind of player does. He's, he is a high impact, uh, fast player who needs to play that way. And when he does, there's some bad that happens, but there's a lot more good that usually happens because he's got such uh, skill and, and energy and size. And that's what we saw tonight. I agree with you. I thought he was, uh, you know, it was either, a, I'd either give him an, an eight or a nine in that game. I thought he was, yeah. thought he was, you know, great to, to outstanding. Dominant. <clears throat> the one player I would Very nice to see. Giving a nine to is my next good thing is Connor McDavid. Um <laughs> A five-point night. I mean, this is the kind of night where we would often not even mention him, right, and as a good thing because it's just uh, so expected, his his dominance. But he really was fantastic again. I mean, right from the start, he sets up um, – he takes Nuge's cross-ice pass, which was a fantastic pass. And uh, then McDavid, though, it's – you know, he's got the wherewithal to find Zach Hyman down low. You know, not through a, a huge thicket of players, but, you know, quickly – right on his stick, bam, in the net. Um, the next time we see him, he's charging up the ice, uh, you know, with the puck and setting up Darnell Nurse in the slot for the, it's an odd man rush. And, um, you know, again, we just take McDavid's speed for granted on a play like that, but it's his speed that makes the play. Um, just exploding up the ice with the puck. A, a, um, a short time later, He's in the corner, Hyman wins it, and bam, he, McDavid puts a uh, backhand pass right into the slot, right onto Yesapuliarvi's stick for a goal. Yesapuliarvi, by the way, did a fantastic job finishing that. For once, he just didn't flail away at the puck. Mm-hmm. He actually made his shot. He looked for his shot, and he made his shot. So that was great to see um, for Yesapuliarvi, who's been struggling with confidence. And that kind of that's the kind of goal, I think, where you actually – make a difficult shot, execute a difficult shot that, that yep. can make a difference for a player. But it's set up by Connor McDavid. Um, the Five game's shots on net for yesterday tonight, most on the team, by the way. He's, his, start, his confidence is really, nice. really uh, starting to come. I, I think he's been good for maybe two two weeks where he's basically been good in every game. And tonight was a continuation of that trend. Next we see um, McDavid. It's... I th- think it's five to one so this is not such a crucial goal to the team but it was still nice to get the six the six to one goal because it really sinks it really does sink the crack and then and um and again um he just he picks the puck up and wheels in and fires i thought it was i thought it was his shot that went directly in but it, it goes in off hyman and it was just a fantastic uh uh shot pass in off off zach hyman mcdavid doing what he does and then um, Hyman doing what he does. Hyman doing Crowding, what he does. basically giving McDavid a two foot wide post to bounce his shot in off of. That's what he did. And then the last goal of the game was McDavid just bursting, bursting in there. Um, Hyman kind of wins a battle in the the neutral zone of the puck pops to McDavid, and he just charges in there. It's a semi breakaway, and he fires at home. What a hockey player! What a fantastic hockey player, Bruce. I mean, he is Bobby Orr at center, and uh-huh. um, there's nothing 
there's nothing better than that. <laughs> Except uh, I'll add one, one more one more play. It didn't result in a goal, but merely in a great save by Martin Jones, where McDavid on the penalty kill uh, was just hovering around the puck. And one, two, three times he lifted the guy's stick, and the third time he was on the puck, and he chipped it out. And of course, he's going to win that race ten days out of ten. And so he barges in alone, makes a few moves, tries to deke Jones, doesn't quite finish the shot. So that was, uh, uh, you know, that easily could have been another unassisted goal for McDavid, like the one he did get. And on the night, one goal, unassisted, four primary assists where he passed it to the goal scorer on each of the goals, uh, plus three. And you know what? He played 16 minutes and one second in this game, Connor McDavid. So... You got to like that in a game where they were missing a key player that we'll talk about shortly. That you know they got the nice lead that they were really able to spread around the ice time. But in those 16 minutes, I mean, what quality minutes, McDavid? And I had a feeling that he would be he would come up with a huge game tonight for you know for those reasons that uh, the team was relying on him even more heavily than ever, and they relied on him. You know, he got the job done early enough in the game that he was able to spend a lot of the second part of the game watching from the bench. So it was uh, it was a huge night for him, and he should have lots of energy left for uh, tomorrow night against Winnipeg. So the team's got to sh- turn around, come back to Edmonton, and and uh, play on Hockey Night in Canada tomorrow. So it was really important that uh, nobody get overtaxed. And just two D-men... Uh, uh, Darnell Nurse and Brett Kulak played north of 20 minutes tonight. None of the forwards did, and so it was a really good balance. But McDavid was, you know, the. I mean, really, we should have led this podcast with McDavid as our best of many good things because he was he was truly phenomenal uh, in, in this shift night. He was skating so well. And, you know, he was he was a danger on seemed like every shift, and that danger turned into actual goals several times, five times. <laughs> What's your bad thing, Bruce? Yeah, uh, I'm going to be a little bit mean to Evan Bouchard tonight and say I just didn't like his game, and I didn't like his game at the defensive end. And I what I didn't see was. I mean, normally you're prepared to pay a little bit of a defensive price for a guy that's strong at moving the puck and, you know, drives offense a little bit. But by our count, I mean, officially he had zero shots on net. By our count, he was involved in zero grade-A chances for the Oilers and four by the Kraken, including both of their goals. Now, we're having a little bit of a discussion of uh, whether one of those goals was a grade-B or grade-A. To me, it was a a two-on-one and Skinner was was uh, respecting the pass a little bit, and the guy put it in the short side and from the circle. Uh, but that was a turnover by Bouchard and center ice. And and to be fair, three forwards that were cheating on the wrong side of the puck, and, and that's why it turned into a two-on-one. And then on the second uh, Seattle goal, he was, you know, just had the wrong lane to block uh, outside shot that resulted in a deflection and then a rebound that was tapped home. And I just, there was a couple of plays where I just thought he, you know, uh, threw snow a little bit and just, you know, had a chance to battle for a puck and just 
just really didn't take up the battle. And he just seems to have, um, he, he's going through a real tough time this last few weeks, really. And uh, his, he's so far from his A game. And I mean, we know that he's got the potential to be a really fabulous player, but he's a long way from that right now. And I don't think he'd, I, he was among the few to me who, uh, who uh, among the Oilers, uh, who didn't make a real positive impression tonight, but he really didn't. Yeah, he reminded me of Justin Schultz in his rough times at Edmonton in that game. Like honestly, that's yeah, what it reminded no, me quite a bit of. Does, I have to yeah, say. you know when when he's when Evan Bouchard's bad, it's like it's like Justin Schultz was bad when he was at, when he was on the orders and wasn't as it wasn't one of his best games. And um, yeah, he's just got to you know he, he's never going to be. Um, uh, that's hard hitting defensive defenseman, but he has to be a solid positional, smart defensive Mm -hmm. defenseman. Like his model shouldn't be Scott Stevens. It should be Nicholas Lidstrom who didn't hit. He didn't hit. He just won battles. He was always in position, always smart, always good with his stick. That's who he's got to try to model his game on. Like watch lots of videotape of the way that guy played the game with his, with his head reading the play. Evan Bouchard, you know, he's not that, good he's not going to be that player but he's that style of player like the leadstrom's uh, teammate larry murphy that's the guy that I've, I've long compared yeah. bush to uh to murphy um and you know because murphy was not a gift like leadstrom was such a gifted skater that it's not really a fair comparison but uh, murphy was uh no twinkle toes on skates and then bush you know he 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 can get it going when he's on his game He's a smart skater and he finds the open ice and he, you know, he makes the first step in the right direction. But lately he just seems just kind of a little bit lost out there in terms of what do I do now? And that, those little delays and hesitations uh, often result in, in uh, you know, small problems, but sometimes big problems. And so he's, uh, he's fighting it. And uh, anyway, he's, uh, my choice tonight. How about yours? Yeah, I would just overall Bouchard has had a good year moving the puck. Like he really, he's taken a step up in moving the puck, I think. And um, he's, he's, he's passing it well. His defense though is often missing. Uh, there, there, I didn't really ever see another player who I would single out as, as a bad thing in this game, but you know, obviously the, the, the other bad thing was the absence of Leon Dreisaitl. He's such a key player to the team. And um, we'd, we're not exactly sure what the injury is. He, I, um, he got slammed State into the... Secret. Yeah, Steve, and it will remain so. He, they, they'd tell us, but they'd have to shred us. They, <laughs> Bruce, they, they, um, he got slammed into the the open door, open gate, bench gate, um, by yep. Elias Lindholm. Lindholm, he sure did. Uh, late in the game against Calgary. Could be something related to that. So it's... It's a tough loss for the Oilers if he's out any length of time, especially. He wasn't out uh, for the end of game scenario in Calgary when the Flames hit the post. And normally Dreisaitl will be out oh, in the yeah. 60th minute of any yeah. game that's close. Yeah, right? he would. Leading, trailing, tied. He's going to be out there, but he wasn't. And that, that Lindholm nastiness came just a little bit before that. It was like three or four minutes left. 
And Kelly Rudy was saying, well, they let Zach Hyman get away with holding a guy's stick for a, a millisecond at the puck battle at the blue line. And they let Lindholm get away with gooning Dreisaitl into the bench. So let's call it even. Because the refs are just obviously letting them play. Well, they let Elias Lindholm injure a star player. I'm not happy. Not happy. And I'm not happy with the treatment Edmonton players get in Calgary, especially where both McDavid and Drysaddle took nasty shots in that game. And anyway, uh, he's out for now, and they're saying he's probably going to miss tomorrow night. My thought was uh, he probably didn't even fly out there, although it was a, you know, they, they, uh, Derek Van Deese today, our, our post media colleague, uh, said, tweeted that uh, uh, something along the lines of, um, uh, Jay Woodcroft wouldn't wouldn't would neither confirm nor deny that Drysaddle was even on the road trip, <laughs> which is I mean that's that's old media talk that from the Cold War you know either you know the Kremlin would neither confirm nor deny that and <laughs> TASS news news agency would anyway and my guess is that he was never on the flight. And uh, he wasn't there. And I'm still not saying he won't even play tomorrow night. I'm thinking that they might have said, okay, Leon, you're banged up a bit. You know, take the day, take the couple days. It's a one-game flight for us. So, I mean, even though they played two road games in a a row, it was like two one-game road trips. They went to Calgary and came straight home for the skills competition and other stuff. And then they flew to Seattle. And maybe they just said, you know, don't take this day and then see how you're doing tomorrow. And I would say maybe not impossible that he plays tomorrow, but the scuttlebutt was he would miss tonight and tomorrow night. But the scuttlebutt was coming from people that probably aren't inside of uh, Jay Woodcroft's head, so they probably don't know exactly what the situation is. So there's hope. Uh, My hope was that with Drysaddle out, the rest of the team would raise their games, and uh, to a very large degree they did, uh, starting with number 97, who saw, you know, this was a game the team needed him more than ever, and uh, he delivered, but uh, a lot of the uh, depth guys came up too, so it's good to see. The year I'll be reading on the internet that uh, the Oilers don't really need dry saddle of Curry. They're a better team without him. He's been dragging him down. You won't read that. You won't read that. <laughs> I bet you know, you'll read it. One, <laughs> you won't one believe thing, it, but you'll read it. <laughs> McDavid, I think, is in no. He, he's in very good position if he doesn't get hurt to win. Obviously, the the um, heart trophy for the most valuable player. But one thing that cemented dry saddle's hold in 2019-20, uh, when he won it was McDavid went out and the orders oh. did okay for, for a few games, games, few key. I think they split the games, maybe yep. had one Three, loser point as one. well. So um, that's what cemented right. Drysidle winning, winning the trophy. I don't think if that, had, if that hadn't happened, Drysidle wouldn't have won the heart trophy that year. Cause it's such a fickle thing. They're, mm-hmm. they're always going on these weird little narratives that deny Connor McDavid, the trophy that he deserves every year. And um, so uh, if the orders go on a little bit of a win here with Drysaddle, it, w- it won't hurt McDavid's chances, although he's just running away with the scoring title this year. So it's hard to imagine that he wouldn't win it this year, but pff, there's other years when he should have won it. And he, didn't. he gained five points on Drysaddle tonight, of course. So yes. His lead uh, suddenly went from 10 to 15. And we're not even at the halfway point of the season. And he's it's got 20. a 15-point lead in the 
scoring race. He's got the most goals, the most assists. So, uh, and I agree with you that when McDavid went down in 2019-20 uh, and the Oilers were kind of in a in a uh, precarious spot for playoff position. And of course, they hadn't made the playoffs for two years before that. Mm-hmm. And they they played six games without McDee and, and uh, Drysaddle uh, uh, was the first star in all three games that Edmonton won. And basically, they just went 3-2-1 and, and, and held their position. But you know, seven points with uh, McDavid sidelined, you know, no no sign of a slump. And like I say, Drysaddle was the first star in all three of the wins. And I think he had 12 points in the six games, and none of them were, you know, cherry passes from McDavid. You know, he just he, you know, stepped up, yeah. and I think he, he got a whole lot of eyeballs sort of going, holy smokes, this guy's for real at that exact time. McDavid's now 20 points up on uh third place jason robertson uh-huh. and um he's he's he is 31 points up on mitch marner but you know marner is bruce averaging more than a point a game so you never know he might be the heart trophy winner this year Brady all right points the hottest player in the league according to the tampa bay announcing team there you go oh, yeah, uh, <laughs> bruce what's your number yeah, my number is uh, is more a concept than an actual number, but it's it's the distribution of uh, of scoring, and the extreme distribution of the Edmonton Oilers uh, versus the very compact of the um, distribution of the Seattle Kraken tonight's opponent. And I looked at this today for a while, and I thought, Jesus, got to be a way to represent this. Like it's crazy. Uh, so. I posted this on Twitter, if you follow my Twitter feed. Or it's in. It's at the bottom of the uh, post I just wrote on Oilers' young scorers, some of whom actually scored tonight, which was also very, very good. Uh, but I listed the 12 forwards from both Edmonton and Seattle uh, that played in the most recent games. So this list does include Drysaddle. And I just list them in, in order of point scoring. The first four guys, predictably, are all Oilers, McDavid, Drysaddle, Nugent Hopkins, Hyman, uh, uh, the power play, as my uh, distant cousin uh, Mika Blake McCurdy pointed out in response to my tweet, and uh, you know, 67 now, 72 points for uh, McDavid, 57 for Drysaddle, 41 now, 45 for Nuge, 37 now, 39 or 40 for Hyman. What do you got tonight? Yeah, three. Tonight. 40, He's up yeah. to 40. And then the next 12 guys on this list are all 12 of the Seattle forwards. The top wow. guy, Andre Burkowski, had 28 points. So he's like nine points behind Hyman. And yet he's leading Seattle. But then it's Burkowski, Everly, Beneers, McCann, Sprong, Gourge, Schwartz, Tanev, Bjorkstrand, Wenberg, Geeky, Donato, all between 11 and 28 points. So all between four and there's one guy, McCann, that's got 16 goals, and the rest have, you know, 10, 11, 8, 5, 4, you know, but they're all scoring some. And then below those 12 Seattle guys are the other eight Edmonton guys. Ryan, nine points. McLeod, Yamamoto, Pugliarvi, Fogel, Costin, Yanmark, Holloway. So if you look at this list and you say, well, Oilers have got four guys now with 40 plus points and, and Seattle doesn't even have anybody with 30 advantage Oilers. But you look at it another way and you say, well, uh, Seattle's got 12 forwards that are in double digits in points and the Oilers only have four, 12 to four. 
<laughs> so it's like a completely different uh, um, uh, yeah. um, recipe. And yet these are two of the highest scoring teams in the league. The orders are fourth and the, and the Kraken sixth going into tonight's game. And you couldn't get two more different formulae for, uh, uh, for success, offensive success. I mean, Burkowski, their leading scorer, I looked him up a minute ago, and he's I think he's 85th in the league in scoring, something like that. And, of course, the orders are one and two. Nugent Hopkins is hovering right around the top ten. You know, they're all over a point a game, real nice figures. And all the other active Oilers, and I left um, I left Evander Kane as 13 points off this list because he hasn't been an active player for a mm-hmm. long time. And but he's the only guy hurt in Seattle. They've been healthy, so they've got the, they've been running the same forwards all year, and that's part of part of the reason they've been doing so well, I suspect. But uh, just I just found it fascinating that you could find top four Oilers, the rest of the Oilers, and you could fit an entire hockey team between the two groups. <laughs> it's just very startling. Never quite just, seen something this extreme. Just shows you if some of these Oilers. <laughs> Puliyarvi, Yamamoto, Fogel, uh-huh. the whole yeah. group of the play. If they had only scored each of them one or two more goals, mm-hmm. what a difference that this would yep. be making to the Edmonton Oilers. And yep. and it's, and by all expectations, they should have on average one or two, you know, two more, two or three more goals each, probably. You know, like one or two more goals each, probably as a group, on average, they should have. Uh, more than they have now, so um, it's it's been a very um, weak performance by the Oilers support players. But the good news is the Oilers are right there right now, uh, you know, ready to as 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 much as anyone pounce and get a playoff spot in the West. They just need they do need need this bottom group of players though to start producing. And tonight they did. You know, Costin got two goals and Puliyarvi got one. So there you have it. As I wrote my post today, I was writing specifically about the young players on the team and and their failure to produce much offense. And oh, many yeah. of them are clustered in the bottom of the list. Some are defensemen. I mean, Bouchard's production is way down. Uh, Nima Linen doesn't score at all. Uh, there was there's ten skaters that the Oilers have deployed this year that are 24 and under, and none of them has scored more than three goals. And now, well, now I guess we've got Costin up to four. So that's good. But I, I think finally we're starting to see some positive signs from Yamamoto, from Pugliarvi. Uh Bouchard's still a work in progress. Uh, but I, I think, you know, Cost Cost and McLeod. And McLeod. And, and so there's, you know, there's there's uh, uh, light on the horizon that some of that support scoring might come. And the thing about young players is they do tend to do better in the second half of the season than the first. So hopefully that will be. And but tonight, I, either they all read my column and thought, "Well, we have to be better," or else I just wrote it just in time to uh, get the actual low trough of the wave that's now going to crest in the coming weeks and months. Well, I have heard on good authority that before every game, Jay Woodcroft <laughs> reads the Cult of Hockey posts to right. the team in full. So there you have it, uh, Bruce. My number. My number. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> my my number is forty five. That is the number of points that Ryan Nugent Hopkins has this year, forty five points in thirty seven games, and he is now tied for eighth in NHL scoring. Eighth, 
He's worked his way into the top 10 on tonight's game. He's tied with Miko Rantanen and Kirill Kaprizov at uh, 45 points. Oh, and just they're just ahead of Sidney Crosby. Superstars. They're, he's just ahead of Sidney Crosby, who has 43. Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Ryan Nugent Hopkins is playing like a star player. He's never before in his entire NHL career driven a line, Bruce, and he is doing it now. He is the man when he's on the ice and he's he's putting in dominant shifts. It's great to see. It is great to see. It's what I I bet I have repeating myself here because I've said this in a previous podcast, but I've been waiting for years to see this because I always thought it was possible with his skill level that he would play this way. He just needed to win more battles. He needed to win more battles, uh, especially defensively, um, stopping the guys and then advancing the puck. Because now when he wins these battles defensively, and we see this, you can just picture it in your mind's eye. If you shut your eyes, watching, thinking about Nugent Hopkins in his own zone, he wins the battle with good fundamental defensive position and he's in his quick hands and strong stick. And then he controls the puck. He controls the puck and he makes a solid, he either skates with it or makes a great pass. That is what's so great about him. And McDavid does this, of course, and Drysaddle does it as well, which makes them better defensive centers than they otherwise would be based on the kind of rate of mistakes they make when they don't have the puck. But when they actually win the puck, they're able to control it and advance it. And now Nugent Hopkins is doing that as well. And uh, it's transformed him in terms of being a player and in terms of his value for the Oilers. I mean, there's no more value. There's no more. Is there a more value player in the NHL this year than Ryan Nugent Hopkins? Like he's on the list. He's in the top five. That's for sure. Stage Thompson's new contract. Is he still on his old contract? If he's still no, on his old big contract, one kicks in. Well, his medium okay. one kicks in next he's year. He's number one. But um, the other guys are all getting paid, right, up in that yeah. area. Uh, there might, there's probably some defensemen and some goalie. Jason Robertson just got paid at the beginning of the season. Yeah, and, everyone uh, else. The rest of them are all big buck. So there's Josh Morrissey. I'm not sure what he's making. I think he's making a six six a year, and he's he's having a great year, right? So he's he'd be similar to Nuge in terms of being this incredible value. Jack Hughes may be on his rookie deal still. I'm not sure about that. Morrissey's uh, having a Norris Trophy. Yeah. Uh, consideration style season yeah he is good for him. for him he's a good hockey player he's one of those fast guys you know uh-huh. you don't have to be a big guy to shut down mcdavid you got to be a fast guy who's really agile on his skates and really smart defensively and i remember the job that he and Demello did a few years ago in the playoffs anyway I uh, playing with leon and prince albert and then they both got traded to kamloops when they made that run for the uh memorial cup there Kelowna, was it yeah, Kelowna. Yeah. The Rockets. Yeah. They both got traded to uh, uh, to Kelowna for their Memorial Cup run. And, and uh, Morrissey was, uh, I saw a few games Drysaddle playing with sort of mediocre wingers. And the one guy on the team that he had the best understanding with was Josh Morrissey. And you could right. see him sort of thinking the game together. And that was a real one-star D-man, one-star forward uh team and it was kind of kind of kind of different to watch well i think we've covered the territory bruce let's leave it there uh we'll talk again tomorrow night thanks for thanks for talking tonight yeah you bet thanks for listening everyone and in the meantime and in between times this has been another edition of the cult of hockey podcast